Hello and welcome to the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm Andy Viano. On this week's episode, we're talking about a very unusual back-to-school issue with the Flathead Beacon. And to do so, I'll be joined by Jill Roxand, chairwoman of the District 6 School Board in Columbia Falls. We'll talk about what schools in her town will look like when students return next week, and how she and her fellow board members came up with a plan for what they believe is a way to reopen schools as safely as possible during this pandemic. Later, stick around for the latest headlines from the last seven days in Northwest Montana. But before we get to all that, a very brief plea to join the Flathead Beacon Editors Club to support all the work we do. Club members pay as little as $5 per month, and their contributions allow us to do the kind of in-depth, locally-focused reporting you deserve and help keep our paper free to read, both in print and online. To learn more about the Beacon Editors Club, including some of the great bonus perks members can get, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Again, beaconeditorsclub.com. Okay, time now to turn our attention to the schools. This week, we have three stories in the Flathead Beacon detailing how local schools are reopening with perspectives from teachers, counselors, and administrators, the latter group, which is tasked with both reopening buildings and preparing for the likelihood that those buildings will have to close when outbreaks of COVID-19 reach them. For the podcast, we'll get a different perspective still. This one from Columbia Falls School Board Chairwoman Jill Roxand, who has spent decades in education in Northwest Montana and began serving on the Sea Falls Board of Trustees in 1987. And I begin by asking Jill to lay out what the plan is for Columbia Falls schools this year. Well, our um, plan is to open in uh, what is called a traditional model, which is all the kids back uh, face-to-face full-time. And we have a percentage of students that will be opting for online learning. I think we the last check, it's about 15% of our students have chosen to, to um, participate in remote education this fall. So that will reduce a few of the numbers. We also have dedicated remote teachers. So that will be learning will be taught by the remote dedicated teachers. As far as the actual classroom procedures, the teacher will, of course, use all of the good recommendations and protocols, you know, hand washing, hand sanitizing, social distancing. Um, The elementaries, I believe, have ordered plexiglass or plastic carols for the students around their work areas, so that's an extra precaution that's being taken. Also, we are going to be doing a screening, health screening. It's not required, but it's an extra measure of precaution that we felt was wise. So uh, we are going to be using an app on a smartphone where parents can take their child's temperature at home and through using a bar bar scanner QR code, they can upload a picture of the thermometer and to this to this app, so that when um, the student enters the school, they can scan their QR code and it will show that they're clear to enter. For, for students who aren't able to do that at home, we will be using uh, touchless thermometers at the entrance doors to the schools, so they will be screened there as well. 
course, all of the uh, restrictions will apply, gatherings less than 50 people, so that will mean different um, you know, seating arrangements for lunchrooms, using cohorts and seating charts, so that it will be possible to contact Trace should the need arise. So we'll also be using seating charts on buses and in the classrooms, so that that will also be able to do any kind of contact tracing that should need to happen. So I believe just about as many precautionary measures that can be taken are being taken. Of course, masks will be required uh, of all students and all staff, and we're going to be limiting visitors to the building. They will have to also undergo checks, and and non-essential people will not be allowed in. We also are, I believe, restricting spectators at sporting events, although our sports season is in in, uh, practices are going, golf's been going, and football practices, soccer practices, all of of the uh, sports and activities are underway. Later, our conversation turned to how Jill and the rest of the Columbia Falls School Board arrived at their ultimate decision. The process we used for Getting to this plan, of course, was involved a lot of people and a lot of thought and a lot of research and uh, took weeks to construct this. Actually, it began uh, at the end of last year when a district-wide committee was put together to look at options and information and recommendations. Of course, things can change on a dime, really, if we get different information from local health department from Flathead County Health Department or from the state, of course, we would make adjustments as needed. So we are prepared if if we need to, to uh, toggle back to remote learning if the need should arise in localized situations or even district-wide if that should be needed. But as far as the uh, process, again, the committee looked at the options and the board had many discussions. We took lots of input. There were surveys sent out to families about how they would prefer to have education this fall. Did they want to participate in remote learning? Did they want face-to-face? Surveys done in August, early August, showed that about 80% of our families wanted their kids back in school, if possible. And uh, a good percentage of our teachers also felt that that was in the students' best interest. So, well, one of the interesting situations is analyzing the use of a hybrid model where students go part-time during the week versus the traditional full-time model, is that if students are in a hybrid model, then they will also be somewhere else for three days of the work week, two days of the weekend, and then uh, possibly back in school with having possibly had more exposure to outside people than they, they would have had had they been in school. So we feel like this option is, in our perception at this point, a safe model, as safe as we can um, make it. And of course, it's a new situation. Everyone is learning as we as we go along. But uh, we're taking the good advice of local authorities and of the state. We've researched using advice from American Academy of Pediatrics, the CDC, the governor's OPI, both of their reopening models. We have done a lot of research on this and feel comfortable that uh, we're creating as healthy and safe a work 
a learning situation that we can. And we are also uh, hopeful that possibly with fall returning and the tourists leaving, that perhaps that will put us in a better situation as well. I think one of the things that that people took away from the spring, and certainly anybody who had kids at home, well, perhaps they were trying to to work at home, understood that doing something like that for the long term was probably unsustainable. But I I, I think if you can understand why the parents would be motivated, at least partly by that, to, to get kids back into school, why from from your perspective or from the board's perspective was it important to to get kids back in the building what what because you say all these extra precautions are being taken obviously you you do all of those things so you can get the kids and the teachers together back in the building why why was that so important to you well a variety of reasons uh first of all Students learn best when they're in the classroom with their teacher. So that is, I think, a, the primary driving reason. And also all of the secondary reasons, which are the social-emotional aspects of students in the classroom, socializing with other kids, having opportunities to grow emotionally. And and also we've learned, you know, sometimes the school situation um, provides so many other services to students like food, uh, breakfast, lunch. Uh, we've got nursing staff available in the buildings. Counselors, students with special needs have uh, a need for closer contact with teaching staff and professionals. So there are just a variety of reasons why it's uh, a better a better situation if students can be in the buildings for uh, them to be there, but realizing that we will try to provide the best situation if that is not possible. I want to talk about what could happen in the future. You mentioned the the possibility that, that it could revert back to remote learning, and, and obviously the reason for that would be some sort of outbreak within the schools. And, and I think there's a, even among the most optimistic in the Flathead Valley, a, a general consensus that that Somewhere here, it's, it's going to be probably a matter of when, not if. Hopefully, that's not in Columbia Falls. But but if there is, a, a, there are cases of COVID nineteen discovered from either students or staff who've been in the building. Where is the board right now? What what is the plan of action to take at that point? I guess what happens next? Well, I believe we take our guidance from our health professionals. Uh, we would to advice working closely with the Flathead County Health Department to see what they should recommend should should we have cases of COVID-19 pop up in the schools, then we would look to them for advice about the procedure. Should we need to close a classroom, an area of the school, uh, if we need to, to close the entire school for a couple of days for deep cleaning or um, possibly longer should more cases, you should, should a cluster of cases pop up. So we uh, will be taking our guidance from our local health professionals on that. Not, you know, we are not doctors or health prov- care providers, so we will look to them to give us the, our best guidance about what is the safest action to take should we need to. I wonder, and I'll, I'll let you go in just a minute. I, I really yeah. appreciate the time, but I, I, I know the the subject of 
handling the coronavirus has has become more contentious over time and and some parts of it a little bit more divisive. I I wonder what the nature of the discussions at board meetings or or even privately among board members or or administrative staff have been. Has it been a a consensus kind of movement on on how to get to this point or or have there had to be some some, some more difficult conversations to arrive at, at the point where you are now? Well, I think we all have differing opinions, whether slightly differing or greatly differing on, on this uh, subject. Some people, I think, are less concerned than others. And when you have so many people that are putting heads together to come up with uh, one direction or solution, it is difficult. I don't know that we had hard discussions. We had very thoughtful discussions, and we did listen to a variety of perspectives. We had uh, several letters that the board received from teachers and from parents on both sides, some thinking we should not open school, others saying, yes, thank you, You, that's where my child needs to be. So, you know, I think everyone has their own comfort level. You have a continuum of, of concern where some aren't concerned at all and some are extremely concerned. So everyone falls along that continuum somewhere. But I wouldn't say we had any well, of course, they're all difficult discussions because you're dealing with people's health and well-being. And so that's all. It's very hard to when you're looking out for the health and welfare of other people, you have to understand that sometimes you have to put your own personal ideas and biases aside and look at the input that people are giving you and look at the research and just do what you believe is the best path to take with the knowledge that you have at the time. I think that's all people can do. Awesome. I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you very much yeah. for, uh, for the time and the conversation, Jill. Appreciate you it. You bet. You can read a whole lot more about the return to in-person learning and our back-to-school issue available now on newsstands throughout Northwest Montana. And you can read all of our back-to-school coverage online at flatheadbeacon.com. Now, here are the biggest stories from the last week as of Tuesday, August 25th at 10 p.m. The state of Montana has 1,636 active cases of COVID-19 as of this recording, including two major jail outbreaks and a pair of outbreaks at long-term care facilities in Flathead County. The names of the local facilities affected have not been released by health department officials here, even as one of those residents has died, bringing Flathead County's total to four since the pandemic began. Elsewhere in the state, 53 inmates and two jail staff at Cascade County Jail have tested positive for the coronavirus, as have more than 30 inmates at the Yellowstone County Jail in Billings. The pace of new infections slowed slightly this week statewide, But active cases have risen, as have hospitalizations, now at 119, and total deaths, a number that stands at 97. There are 122 active COVID-19 cases in Flathead County, the third most of any county in the state. In other news, Flathead County will opt for an in-person election this fall, making it one of the few counties in Montana that is declining to offer all-mail balloting. 
Governor Steve Bullock left it up to counties to decide how to conduct their elections earlier this summer, citing safety concerns related to the coronavirus pandemic. Flathead County did opt for an all-male ballot in the June primary, when all 56 Montana counties did so, and the state enjoyed record voter turnout. In deciding not to hold an all-male election this November, County Commissioner Pam Holmquist told The Beacon, quote, We did it in June, and at that time we told the community we'd only do it once. Those who wish to vote by mail can still do so by requesting an absentee ballot. Forms are available at the county election office and online at flathead.mt.gov election. In other news, Glacier Park International Airport reported a significant uptick in airplane passenger traffic in July, with just under 30,000 boardings. That number is not even half as many as in July 2019, but marks a huge increase from the spring when COVID-19-related lockdowns and travel restrictions were in place. Despite that, Montana's airports have been the least impacted nationally, with only 25% fewer flights offered this July than one year ago. By comparison, New York State has dropped 86%, and the national average is a 50% downturn. And finally, the 21-year-old man who crashed his truck into a house south of Kalispell earlier this summer, killing a man asleep inside, pleaded not guilty to vehicular homicide while under the influence in Flathead County District Court on August 20th. Thomas Lefevre was just 20 years old at the time of the accident on June 20th. A Montana Highway Patrol trooper described Lefevre as, quote, obviously impaired when he was discovered in the living room of the home at the scene of the accident. 59-year-old Ronald Dale Meyer was killed in the crash. His family has filed a civil lawsuit against Lefevre, who is currently free on $500,000 bond. Lefevre faces up to 30 years in prison if he is convicted. That's all for our show this week. Remember to subscribe to the show by searching Flathead Beacon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review to help other people find the show. And don't forget, you can read all the latest news from Northwest Montana for free at flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.